Welcome to the Net Positive Podcast, a series of podcasts on clean energy and the environment. The Net Positive is about crafting healthy communities and a sustainable world. These explorations are designed to educate and inspire. That's when we get action. Greetings and welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And this edition of The Net Positive features my great friend, Jonathan Parfrey. He is one of the most dedicated global citizens, and he's one of the most connected Angelinos. Hey, Jonathan. Jonathan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you see me? I can see you. Right on. How you doing? I'm all right. Well, I would like to go, I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about your earliest years. Born and raised where? Uh, born in New York City. My father was an actor. Uh, he, he did television in New York. Uh, shows like The Naked City. I don't know if you're familiar with any of that stuff, Ted. But then uh, in the early 60s, like 61, 62, moved out to L.A. And he dragged us kids kicking and screaming with him. So basically went from Harlem to Malibu Beach. That was the transition. That sounds like a pretty good shift. It was interesting, sure. Yeah. High school in high school in Malibu or LA? Where was that? There, I lived in Malibu, but there was no Malibu high school. So uh, we had to jump on a bus and go into uh, Santa Monica. So it was a 26 mile bus ride. And in fact, there was a really bad B movie called Malibu High uh, that actually happened before there was a real Malibu High. So you could say it's almost a postmodern high school that it happened after the fact. Yeah. But Jonathan, what a commute down the coast highway there to every day to go to school. It sounds yeah. Like- and that's where I met my first wife and, and we had four beautiful kids together. So it, it ended up being very fruitful. Yeah, that's great. College? Berkeley. Berkeley. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, in those days, it must have been very color, very colorful. Telegraph Avenue in, in full bloom back then. It was. I remember that the university said they were going to take back the parking lot at People's Park. And then the next thing we knew, the anarchists came out. It wasn't me. But the anarchists came out and they dug up the entire parking lot. So there was no more parking lot. It was that part of People's Park. So that was their response to the university trying to provide more parking for people. It was pretty funny. Oh, interesting. Then you started this group called OC Catholic Worker. And and talk about that, because you and I have talked about it before, and I always always thought that this is where you gained your sainthood. I don't know if, I don't know about that, Ted, but um, when I was at school at Berkeley, I was really convinced by the, Uh, teachings of Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Uh, I thought that that the lives that they were leading were really amazing. And I thought, what can I, you know, privileged white bratty kid from the west side of LA, what could I do? And there was this organization called the Catholic Worker, which is kind of the closest thing to uh, a Gandhian ashram (laughs) that there is in the United States. And it It was started by a woman, Dorothy Day, uh, back in the 1930s to do the works of mercy, to 
uh, tend to the poor. And it was very exciting for me. And a lot of those activists were very involved in great social justice and peace causes, which were very close to my heart. So um, in uh, 1981, I, 80, I signed up with the Catholic worker community in Boyle Heights in East LA. And then uh, was there for six years and then relocated and started a community in Santa Ana in Orange County and did that for six years. So my, my misspent youth was 12 years uh, providing shelter and food to the homeless and doing a few other more radical things at the same time. Yeah, well, that's really, really, really admirable. And then positions for social responsibility. That was a big, that was a big chapter. Yes. So I was there for 13 years uh, in the offices were in Santa Monica. And that was when the organization was transitioning from exclusively focusing on national security and nuclear war questions to environmental issues. And, and I felt that I was responsible for a lot of the transitional work that took place at that time, uh, including, um, you know, focusing in on military toxicants, uh, where uh, a lot of the groundwater basins in Los Angeles are super fun sun, super fun sites. People don't know this. So virtually the entire San Gabriel Valley is a super fun site, thanks to the, uh, the leaching of various chemicals into the aquifers, um, including this material called perchlorate, that affects uh, developmental growth, affects thyroid uh, hormone. Um, and then in the Eastern uh, San Fernando Valley, that's entirely a Superfund site. And uh, that also was due to a lot of the um, materials used in military development. A lot of that stuff was um, degreasers. And so you had TCE, trichloroethylenes to take grease off of um, uh, metals that were bent. So, um, and then focused a lot on the Santa Susana Field Lab at the western end of the uh, San Fernando Valley and served on the EPA work group uh, to clean up that site. Um, it's still in the process of being fought over decades later, um, but uh, really interesting work. And that kind of made the connection. It's like when you make weapons of war, they're not only bad for the people you drop it on, it's not good for you because it's polluting your water and your environment. And that's something that we wanted to bring home to the people of Los Angeles. And you did. A little bit, yeah, we tried. How did you get on the commission? You became a commissioner at LADWP. How did that transpire? Uh, it was under Antonio Villaraigosa. It, at the time, uh, I was the director of the coalition of all the green groups in LA. It was called Green LA and uh, met with Antonio. And I said, you know, Mr. Mayor, I just want to get it out there. In my youth, I did a lot of civil disobedience. I lived at the Catholic worker, this anarchist commune. I, I've been with PSR and fighting the military. And he goes, Stop with your credentials. I love all that stuff. You're on. So it didn't scare him at all, which I thought it might have, but it didn't. Yeah. yeah. And then what, what would you say was your, uh, I want to ask you two questions about LADWP, but what was the biggest challenge? I have to be candid with you, Ted. You've heard this from me before. I love that 
utility. I, yeah, they have problems. There's no doubt about it, and lots of them. But at heart, that's the people's utility. That belongs to the people of Los Angeles. And so I actually am, I'm bullish on LADWP. Uh, I think they get a lot of stuff done. They don't get credit for a lot of stuff done. And they've had an enormous sea change of people who were very resistant to moving into renewables, very resistant to do the engineering needed to balance the grid in this new and unique way. I think they're making huge headway in that regard. Uh, one of the things that I felt really good about uh, being on the commission was helping steer the course to get off of coal-fired uh, electricity. Um, I played a candidly a very large role in affecting that decision and moving that policy forward. And then um, there's so much that was attached to that. So, you know, if you get off a of coal, you got to replace it with something. So that helped a lot of the solar development in in the region. So that was my chess move. Let's get off a of coal because there are so many knock on benefits from that essential policy. And then I, I really liked the work I was doing on water, especially in the Eastern Sierra. It is very fraught. It's, it's a tough situation, but I actually wanted to do that as well. Um, I wanted to face some of those demons and seeing if we couldn't do a better job. And I think we, on Owens Lake, we were responsible for affecting some really great new policies up there that I think have left the region in a much better place. And I learn about like in the Salton Sea, the very things that the department perfected on Owens Lake are now gonna be used to make the Salton Sea less emissive and have fewer problems. So very proud of that. And internally at the department, um, I, was, I was given the punishment of being the chair of the personnel committee, which is something that is handed out with some you know, disdain, oh yeah. You idiot, you go do the personnel committee. And I, and I decided to take that on. We had at the time something like 80 some grievances that were to be seen before the commission. And by the time I left, zero. We did all the grievances and uh, dealt with the, the workers at the utility in a respectful way. And I'm also really proud of that. And to this day, I don't know if there are any grievances left. I just don't know. But we went from 80 to zero. That, uh, that is a fantastic story. I didn't realize that. And uh, that speaks to your character, Mr. Parfrey. That speaks to your character. Or, or should I say commissioner? Um, and I, I'll echo. It was five years, a fun five years. And yeah. I also did a bunch of tours, Ted. And I took, when I ever I did a tour, I said, I'm going to bring some environmentalists along. So I brought a crew of different people. Some of them became uh, commissioners later on in their careers to just sort of show them the way the utility worked because we have to operate by facts, you know, and the best way to learn stuff is by experiencing it. So I was also very proud of that. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Very good stuff. It was LADWP that brought me out here in 1998. And I think it was right about then that the utility was really changing course. But by the time you became a commissioner, you, you really amped it up. And now it's truly an exemplary utility. I, had, uh, I just had Angelina Galitaba uh, on the podcast a couple weeks ago. She's the 
chair of the ISO, but she, uh, of course, was at LADWP when I was there. We were re reminiscing a little bit. I but think that's wonderful. Like, whoever thought that we'd be talking about, you know, storing hydrogen in Utah and then, you know, using that as a means of, you know, providing electricity for the city. Um, and then you have the, the new, um, uh, you know, Boulder National Renewable Energy Lab report on getting LA 100% off of fossil fuel by 2035 and up showing a pathway to get there. I mean, did you and I, thinking back, we did not, that's a different utility than we knew. This is a dream come true. This yeah. is a dream come true. Yeah. But we're living it. We're living it. Thanks to a lot of hard work by a lot of people, including yourself. Let's talk about climate resolve. Um, did you really form it in 2010? Yeah. Has it been that many years? It's over yeah. a decade old. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. Yes, my double chin accounts for the is, is attributable to climate resolve. Well, what, what talk about what you what you envisioned? You founded this organization, and I, as I understand, it's very much focused on local adaptation, local uh, means of addressing climate change. But flesh that out a little bit. Well, well, here's the the theory of change, as they like to say in the nonprofit world. Like, how do you think you're going to make a difference? What's your theory of change? And so here's ours. We think that climate change is the great existential issue facing humanity. I mean, there are others. I mean, we have to learn how to treat each other more kindly and deal with racial and ethnic and, and economic issues that I don't wanna diminish any of that, but if, if it's too hot to fucking have a civilization, you're not gonna be dealing with those issues, you know? And so the, the upshot is that I wanted to uh, really address that existential threat of climate change. And I felt that you need to help people see themselves in the climate picture. To be theoretically in favor of something that's a wonderful thing doesn't get anything done because people think a wonderful thing is optional. Well, I'd like to do that. If I have enough money, I'll do the wonderful thing. But yeah, I don't have enough money. So I'll pass on the wonderful thing for now. What I've been wanting to do is move climate change action, climate action from being a virtuous thing to being an essential thing, to being a life and death thing. And the way to get us there, our theory of change, is to put people in the picture. So... It's, it's a virtue to help save polar bears, but it is a necessity to save your children and yourself from heat stroke. And what we did from the very beginning was taking the climate science that is peer reviewed, vetted, it's what we're doing our planning off of and embedding that in people's understanding. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you got to give people some hope that if you don't have any hope, uh, why, why invest any of your activism in the first place if you don't think it's going to be successful? So that was the other piece is to uh, give people something really tangible that they can succeed at. And so that's sort of climate resolves theory. 
It's a, my, my crude way of putting it, it's the tuchus theory. You gotta put people's tuchus in the picture and that'll help you uh, succeed. Well put. Now, maybe I really mischaracterized them when I taught, when I emphasized adaptation. Well, we feel that if you talk about heat, you got to do a solution. And so Climate Resolve has been supporting solutions. So that could be increasing the tree canopy in Los Angeles. That can be cool roofs that reflect solar radiation and put it back into space or cool streets where the streets also reflect sunlight and keep neighborhoods cool by just taking advantage of physics. Good old fashioned physics um, can help us. And Art Rosenfeld, blessed be his name, uh, was one of the first people to say, why don't we take advantage of physics and put it on our side to, to help us keep our cities cool and to reduce um, you know, energy demand. And uh, that's something that we've been a big champion of. So. Right now, I'm on the Cool Roof Rating Council group. I'm on their committee to help promulgate this new concept of cool walls. Uh, I'm on the Atlantic Council's uh, international group on urban cooling. Um, I'm on the Governor's Technical Advisory Council on, uh, on climate change adaptation. And we're... we're, we're enthusiasts for trying to come up with ways of cooling down our cities so that people can tangibly see, oh my God, they did something. We're, things are, it, we're cooling down, it's getting better. And we think that could be a gateway drug to other climate action that gives people a sense of hope that if we act now, as just as we cleaned up our air in Los Angeles to, to a great extent, uh, by acting, we can also act on climate change and we can have a, uh, a better result than ending life on Earth. That's fantastic, fantastic. And, and are, are you optimistic? I mean, it, it seems to me that the numbers, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but in terms of decarbonizing, maybe the state of California is sort of halfway there. I've seen these various reports that we're, sort of, we're halfway there to achieving our goals. And the nation is maybe halfway there in terms of the power sector, but is that right? I mean, are we, are we significantly uh, on this path to, to a sustainable uh, level of CO2 and, and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere? Um, are, are we on a path to uh, herd immunity in the United States from COVID? Kinda, yeah. I mean, among the educated uh, citizenry, we have a lot of people who are vaccinated, um, but there are a lot of parts of the United States that aren't. And similarly, there are parts of the United States, the same places, by the way, are moving ahead on climate action, and there are other parts of the, the country that aren't. And so I think, you know, again, moving away from virtue to necessity, I think is the key. So the way to get South Carolina excited about this is either showing the Tukas theory that, that if they don't do something, they're in big trouble, that's one. But the second thing that California has going for it is that our economy is doing okay and we're reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And so 
we're showing that economic growth and, and climate action go hand in glove rather than are competitive. And I think that that is a wonderful model. In fact, if California is able to trade with Europe, with the advanced industrial countries in Asia and in Latin America, and people like working with California because we're playing by the same games on, on climate action and greenhouse gas reduction, but they don't want to play with the rest of the United States because they don't know how to do that stuff. I think that that is a huge um, leverage for the non-compliant states to get involved. So, okay, so you've heard my Tukas theory. The other theory is FOMO, fear of missing out. And I think FOMO could potentially also uh, help us with the, the more intransient uh, areas of the country. Agreed, agreed. Hey, let's talk about Coolest in LA. Um, this is your, your annual gala uh, where you salute those local climate leaders, I guess. Um, yeah. And it sounds like uh, this year there's gonna be a hybrid event. It's gonna be in, in person at La Cretz and also online. Uh, talk about it. Well, that. even at La Cretz, we're gonna be outdoors. We're setting up a big canopy in the back parking lot. So people can mill around, um, but we're gonna be outdoors. Uh, we're following all the you know, public health department protocols, but we like the idea of trying to do a little bit of you know, seeing each other and getting back to social connection in person rather than just through the interweb. So. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. We've gotten really good at using the internet and yeah. uh, Zooming and Google chatting and meeting and every other darn thing. But, but boy, it's gonna be nice to get together and be able to see each other and, and look each other in the eye and have a drink, all that, all that kind of good stuff. Yes, so the date is June 24th and uh, it's uh, coolestinla.org. And, and talk about it, who's gonna be, uh, who's the feature, who's featured? We're honoring uh, Wade Crowfoot um, who's the secretary of the resources agency in California. And Wade, I don't know if you remember seeing this, when President Trump was in the, the state capitol and they were having a meeting about wildfires and Trump is going, well, no one knows where these wildfires come from. And Wade is at the table and he goes, Mr. President, respectfully, yeah, we do know. The scientists are telling us it's coming from climate change. And so it's like, I, I love the guy. I've known him for years. And so we decided we'd give him an award. I think for that, for that 30 seconds of he deserves it. <laughs> speaking truth to power, he deserves it. So then we're also um, honoring Long Beach Mayor Robert uh, Garcia. Um, I don't know if you know this, they came out with a wonderful climate action and adaptation plan. Our organization worked on that. We think it's uh, really a really beautiful plan. And I think for LA County's second largest city, it's, it's exciting. The, the third uh, person is Nicole Whiteman, who is the director of the LA Dodgers Foundation. And she's amazing. We're working on a project with her in the city of Compton. Um, they are uh, reviving uh, a park there, Gonzalez Park, by building a new uh, baseball stadium for the community. 
uh, called Jackie Robinson Stadium and a smaller stadium uh, for the other, um, for Rochelle, Raquel uh, Robinson. And uh, then um, the last person we're honoring is Marty Adams of LADWP because they're making such great strides. Sure, they sure. That sounds good. That sounds good. It's on June 24th. And then just wrapping things up, um, you, we started the call, you sort of said how many hours you were working. And, and when I hear about all that you're doing, I can see why it would take all those hours. You're, you've got so many uh, tentacles out there and so many responsibilities that you're, you're covering. So I thank you for that. But um, on, the, on the personal side, you are now, you're a grandfather now. You have, is it two, two grandchildren? Four, Ted. Four. Four. See, time flies when you're in a pandemic. I know. Four grandchildren. And then the, the most amazing thing you told me recently is that you're boxing these days. Oh, my God. Well, that's you're getting into the, the thing I love. So, yeah, I, I even have a, a, a mat set up in my apartment wrapped around a beam, a post and uh, a trainer. And we walk through the various steps and there is under no circumstance ever would I think of ever landing a blow on another human being. That is the furthest thing from my mind. But man, it feels great to just um, practice what it takes. The art of being a, a, a boxer is just so amazing. So I'm just really impressed with the discipline and the, the work it takes to, to do that uh, kind of exercise. Just so impressive. And I got a great trainer. It sounds, it sounds fantastic. I've been on a few of your bike rides and your big hikes, and we've had some... We've had some great outdoor activities. I'm, I can't imagine the boxing, but you know, here's just another side of Jonathan Parfrey coming to the surface. So, hey, listen, let's uh, let's wrap there. Thank, thanks so much for being part of the Net Positive. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for all you do. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Net Positive. We'll see you next time.